I was really, obviously really upset by it. As soon as I, when they said scarring, I think the only thing that I focused on was the fact that usually when you have a scar, it can leave different skin texture afterwards. So I was thinking straight away when they said, I've got a full scarring alopecia, I thought, oh my gosh, does that mean that the whole of my scalp is gonna be a different texture? Welcome everyone, my name's Naomi. You're listening to Talk Hair Loss with Alopecia UK, where we share our conversations around all things hair loss. We'll be talking directly to those in the alopecia community to hear firsthand the ups and downs of living with hair loss. Hello everyone, thank you for joining me for another episode of Talk Hair Loss with Alopecia UK. Lots of people use the word alopecia in reference to alopecia areata, but really alopecia just means hair loss and there are lots of different types of hair loss. Today we're going to be talking about some that fall under the category of scarring alopecias. Scarring alopecias does not mean that there is any visible form of scarring on the scalp. The scarring is the inflammation that destroys the hair follicle below the skin surface, leading to permanent hair loss. If you've listened to some of our other episodes, you'll know that I have a type called alopecia areata and so don't personally have any experience of this form of scarring alopecia, which is why I've got three lovely guests with me today who are very kindly going to share with us some of their knowledge and experiences. Today we'll cover three types of scarring alopecias, although there are believed to be many more. And they are frontal fibrosing alopecia, also known as FFA, which is a type of scarring hair loss that affects the frontal region of the scalp, i.e. the forehead and sideburns. It most often affects postmenopausal women, but it can also affect men and younger women. Frontal fibrosing alopecia is a type of alopecia that is becoming more and more common. Next, we have lichen planipolaris, also known as LPP, which is a form of scarring alopecia that usually affects younger women, although can affect most age ranges and more rarely men. Although lichen planipolaris is a rare condition, it is one of the most common causes of scarring hair loss of the scalp. And finally, we have central centrifugal cicatricial alopecia, also known as CCCA, which is a form of scarring alopecia which starts in the centre of the scalp. CCCA is most common in women of African descent, but can also affect men and women of any ethnicity. Like many other types of hair loss, the exact causes of scarring alopecias are not completely clear and there seem to be many aspects such as hormones, autoimmune conditions, hereditary factors, environmental factors and medications all contributing to different experiences. So now that I've covered a little introduction as to what scarring alopecia is, I think it would be great if we could go around and my guests can introduce themselves. Guests, if you can tell us what type of scarring alopecia it is that you have and maybe a bit about how long you've had it. Um, so, Katie, are you happy to introduce yourself first? Yeah. Um, I'm Katie and I have frontal fibrosing alopecia, so FFA, um, and I've had it since about 2016, so about five years. Great, thank you. And Sarika? Hi, um, I'm Sarika and I've, I have lichen plano laris. Um, I think I've had it for about 13 years, but I've only been recently diagnosed. Uh, I got diagnosed in 2016. Thank you. And Nikki? Hi, I'm Nikki. So I have um, central cicatricial, cicatricial alopecia, <laughs> which is also known as triple CA. And I think I've had it for around 10 years, um, although 
it was only properly diagnosed within the past year. I think before that, um, I had thought I had the LPP, Vexerica. Great, thank you. So you'll be able to tell straight away there that we've got a few people who sort of feel like they've had it for a longer period, but maybe uh, diagnosis came a bit later down the line. So I think a helpful place for us to start would be at that diagnosis stage, as I think it is quite different to other types of hair loss. What can people tell me about their experiences of how they were, how they were diagnosed, how they discovered it was a scarring type of hair loss? Is anyone happy to take us through a bit of that, a bit of that journey? Sarika, go ahead. Um, for diagnosis for me, um, because I think I had it about 13 years ago, um, it's when I turned 30, um, I had it started with a patch, a small patch about the size of a five pence piece at the front of my scalp, right by my forehead, and the hair totally fell out in that patch. Um, and it was sort of like quite sore and there was like pustules. It was quite, it was just really angry looking and sore. Uh, and eventually it went and the hair came back again at that point. So I don't know whether that was linked to my current diagnosis or whether that was a different type of hair loss, I don't know. But then gradually over the next five, six years, my hair started to thin at the front of my head and I just covered it up. Um, in terms of diagnosis, I went to my GP. Um, my, my GP diagnosed me with alopecia, but there wasn't any specific reason. Um, he could think of, he gave me a few different treatments to try, so the usual topical treatments, um, and then none of that worked, which I tried for probably about three years. Um, some of it made it worse, it made it angry and inflamed, and so I then went to the doctor and said, it's not working, can you please send me to somewhere else where I could speak to a consultant possibly. Um, at that stage, I was really, really upset and me crying was probably the reason why he decided to refer me to see the consultant at the skin centre. My diagnosis at the skin centre came quite quickly afterwards. They did try a couple of tablets, so um, hydroxychloroquine. I won't go into treatments because I know that you'll probably talk about treatments later, but my diagnosis was from a biopsy in the end. So I had a biopsy, um, which was really, really um, quick. And the diagnosis literally came within a few weeks after that. So mine was by, by, by a biopsy where they took a little puncture um, sample from my scalp in the main areas where there was hair loss, scarring, and then some, some punctures from um, where there wasn't any scarring. Um, was that painful, the biopsy? No, um, it wasn't painful. I had an anaesthetic. They gave a local anaesthetic. And they, <laughs> the way I describe it, because I'm a teacher, the way I describe it to the children at school is it was like a hole puncher. <laughs> they put like a little hole puncher on your head and they just literally pierce the skin using it. But it goes through all layers of the skin. So it's quite a deep puncture. But you don't feel it because obviously you get your anaesthetic. And yeah, it was really yeah. quick. Thank you, Sarika. Um, Katie and Nikki, I'm wondering, do either of you have any similarities to, to Sarika's sort of diagnosis experience or any, any differences that you that you want to share? Nikki, how about you? Um, well, I guess I was quite slow to actually go and get the formal diagnosis. I was just like sort of dealing with, with it internally and just hoping that like taking sort of like a holistic approach would change or, you know, was like 
digging your head in the sand and hoping that eventually <laughs> something will change like if, if you don't address something it will change but um and I guess because I was quite young and I didn't really know how to talk to people about it I think there was like um but eventually when I did go around when I was like 19 or 20 I tried to speak to my GP about it and he was just like oh let's just monitor and see what happens or just like rub Vaseline on your scalp and <laughs> and um yeah so it was and then I realized that I think I had to be like quite firm and harsh with him even though I didn't want to be until he eventually like sent me on my way and gave me um a referral it took like up to a year so I was like 20 now Bear in mind, I said, I think I started my hair loss when I was 15. So I was like 20 and I got the referral. We got the biopsy done. And unlike Sarika, Sarika, sorry, who had said that she had um, got it within a few weeks. I think I had waited like up to a year. Apparently got like the letter that the specialist had, had written me had got lost somewhere. She had to like resend it when I called oh. <laughs> when I called like what's going on is like are you sure you didn't see it's like yeah I did it and then as soon as like they, they reset the message they're like oh permanent end stage this 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 I was like what wow. <laughs> like, um um so it was it was kind of shocking and I think but it was quite happy in the end like all things considered like because at the end of the day I'd rather have a formal diagnosis than living through what ifs and maybes um getting a diagnosis can we hear that a lot of times of, of anyone with alopecia really is that getting that diagnosis you can at least feel like right well i know what i'm dealing with i can research i can understand i can start that level of the process and things and and without that 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 can be really difficult um did you um have a biopsy as well nikki yeah i got a biopsy done um Although it wasn't as painless as I had hoped. <laughs> I think I, I had like a trainee um, and um, the anesthetic didn't really work. I think we didn't leave it long enough. And even that in itself was painful. <laughs> but I was just, yeah, I was just glad to get it done, regardless of whether or not it's just like a sh short, it was a short process, not like maybe 20, 30 minutes max, but mm. just didn't bear it. And just jumping back to something that I think that you said, uh, you mentioned in the introduction that you were sort of first diagnosed, not with CCCA, but with the same uh, type that Sarika has with, with LP. So how, what was that, the process, I guess, between being given one diagnosis and then them actually finding out that it was something different? I guess I just had lots of time to sort of... Um... Like I think I was expecting to get diagnosed with, with triple CA. So when I didn't, I knew that obviously I was in the sphere of, of scarring alopecia, but this was like quite a shock and I hadn't done as much research into it because when I'd like done the research and read all these academic journals and all this sort of stuff, I was like, well, I match this profile more. And I know like myself and having like, monitored it for five years on my own. Um, so I think I, I just kept feeling like, um, even though they sort of like give us like a blanket sort of um, treatment, um, I just thought that it would be best for me to know exactly what it is so I can better treat it as opposed to just, oh, let's just treat all the scarring alopecia the same because we're very, like even though we, we suffer with the same sort of permanent hair loss, the, um, the pathology of it is quite different. So 
um, I think because I kept pushing and then I, I went to see a different specialist for um, a, a second opinion and um, then he, he was also quite like on the fence and he was like it might be traction and I was like well <laughs> that's not the case and even like as Sarika had said she had um, done the two biopsies so well two punches one in the one in the um, unaffected area. So in the unaffected area, it also said that I had um, end stage permanent hair loss. And I was like, well, my hair's quite full right here. I don't see any, I don't see any issues. And it kept growing out as well. So I just knew that something wasn't making sense and I wanted to do further investigation. Um, and that's what led me to now, I, 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 even, I even forewent what the, my second, my second opinion doctor said like two or three years later here I am with a different specialist in London and that's when she said well we had done another biopsy this time it went very smoothly because obviously all the years you know experience in her in her field so um that's when we led to the CCCA and yeah so it's just crazy whirlwind of emotions and but I'm just glad to finally have gotten here yeah I'm glad for you too, because that, that's a lot for anyone to to take on to, I think, as you said, to be told that this is, using the words permanent, end stage, things like that, they're, they're big things to, for anyone to hear. And so to then, like you say, not then feel super confident in what it is that they've told you and the processes that they've taken and things, um, you know, it takes a lot to put it on yourself to be like I'm going to go back and I'm going to make sure that this is right so you know massive props to you for for doing that as well I think that that's great because like you said now at least you can feel like this makes sense to me and I know where I'm at yeah sure absolutely thank you Nikki uh, Katie what what about for you for for finding out you had FFA what was the sort of diagnosis um well, I guess there's a bit of a pattern here but I also didn't go and do anything about it for a little while <laughs> in the hope that it was just a temporary thing and that it would sort of resolve itself so I was probably about 25 and I'd had a previous like I'd had lots of hair fallout when I was about 19 um after I'd come back from traveling and I thought oh okay like I'm shedding some hair but that came back so maybe it's the same thing this might might just kind of happen might resolve itself um, and initially it started as like a very itchy patch like here across my hairline um, and I cycle to work and stuff so I thought oh maybe my helmet's like irritating my scalp or something and I also mentioned it to all the medics in my family so my dad's a doctor and my brother's a doctor <laughs> my partner's a doctor <laughs> and I was like oh guys this is weird um, what do you think's happening to my head and they're all like oh well it might just be a bit of irritation it might just be you know and sort of said all the common things because common things are common and I thought it would just kind of go away um and then I noticed like this side of my hair was thinning as well um and I noticed that when I was um typing up my thesis for my master's and I kept thinking like this and sort of playing with my hair and stuff but it was coming out like way easier than if it was just me playing with my hair um and I thought that was a bit odd but then I thought oh it's probably just me messing around too much with it and then I realized that this patch here had got quite shiny um 
and it wasn't growing back and there wasn't any baby hair left or anything and again I was like hmm, that's a bit odd but maybe it will be okay um and I remember the photos from my brother's wedding we were wearing our hair in a certain way and I was like hmm, actually no one else's hairline looks like that <laughs> that is a bit odd um and then I eventually went to the doctor after um I realized I had like another patch but it was back on my parting and I went to the GP um and initially she just said oh I, she googled it in front of me <laughs> I'd already done all the googling obviously oh. um and she said oh it's a fungal infection and I said I don't think it is um because look at all of this like this has been here for two years and it's not going back I don't think it's a fungal infection um, and she said, oh, what do you want? Do you want a referral to dermatology? And I said, yes, please. <laughs> um, so she referred me. And then the person I saw at dermatology was amazing, like really, really great. Um, and said she thought she suspected it was FFA, like almost uh, after five minutes of having a look at it. Um, but did the punch biopsy as well, just to confirm it. Um, and then she said, yeah, I suspected. This is what you have. Um, and even before it had been confirmed, she put me on a few different like treatments, topical stuff, and then a course of antibiotics to see what happened. But we'll talk about that later, I think. Yeah, um, yeah it's really interesting what you were saying there, because I think, as you said, there's a few common themes that we've already picked out in terms of people sort of waiting and seeing if this is what they think and, and I think that probably comes into a lot of hair loss and um, conditions for people not necessarily just with scarring but that thing of that won't be happening to me and that's not what this is and like a bit of what you said Nikki sticking your head in the sand a little bit I think that's really common um, but it seems like even more so potentially with the, the scarring element because it's maybe a bit more localized or people aren't quite sure exactly what it is that, that's going on so that that's definitely sticking out at me as a bit of a, a theme as well but but also the sort of um i guess mis misdiagnosis angle i guess is what we could could call it like uh katie with your experience of um them saying it was fungal which just seems like you say a, a bit man feels like you're being brushed off with a not real look at what's actually happening and and Nikki, with you sort of saying about being told that it's traction alopecia when actually, um, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but you showed no actual signs of it being traction alopecia. It's a very different condition to um, to either LP or CCA, would, would you say, Nikki? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, I just feel like maybe it was an easier way out. Uh, and at the same time, um, I think it also boils down to possibly interest. So, mm -hmm. um if they could just quickly diagnose you with something and then pass you on to someone who could give you like, you know, a solution and now it's easier for them. But um, I think the, the thing that really helped me throughout the whole diagnosis uh, journey or process is just sort of um, having to like motivate and push yourself because at the end of the day, like you have to be your biggest cheerleader. So, so um, and you biggest like person and voice yeah because no one else gets you rather than you yeah absolutely i would definitely agree with that um 
So another, another thing I'm interested to hear about is um, how did everyone feel about finding out that the, that the hair loss was permanent? Like what was the reaction to that? Because I guess this might maybe a bit of a um, divisive statement, but, and I'm intrigued to get your thoughts on it as well. But I have in the past had some people um, say to me, you know, through, through working for the charity and meeting people with scarring hair loss, I've had a couple of people say, um, that they feel a sense of comfort or relief in knowing that it's permanent because they know where they stand. And I've had other people say that it's in fact the very opposite because it makes it harder because you know that that's, that's the end road. I'm wondering what people's thoughts and feelings are on that. Um, <laughs> I think initially for me, I was really, obviously really upset by it as soon as I when they said scarring I think the only thing that I focused on was the fact that usually when you have a scar it can leave different skin texture afterwards so I was thinking straight away when they said I've got a full scarring alopecia I thought oh my gosh does that mean that the whole of my scalp is gonna be a different texture and as it was I don't think I ever really had a close look at what my scalp looked like until I did start having to have these um, biopsies and I did go to see the consultant quite a few times in medical imaging so they could take photos of it because obviously the changes that you see from one point appointment to the next are so far in between, like six months at a time, that the only way they can gauge whether things are getting better or worse is to have photos taken. So every time I went, I'd always get sent to medical imaging to have photos taken. And that's the first time I think I've, I'd actually seen my scalp in any sort of like detail as such because at the time I let the rest of my hair grow because most of my hair loss is on the top of my head so the back of my hair was normal to me in you know I was still able to comb my hair and style it at the back it just wasn't a lot at the front um so for me I think I kind of thought when they said permanence for me to take back control I felt like I needed to shave my hair and I kind of felt a lot better about the whole situation then. Um, and also meeting other people, because obviously at that time, you think to yourself, you're the only person who's suffering with this. So just to be involved in Alopecia UK with the charity and um, finding out what the charity can offer for me and going to support groups, that's really what made me able to accept my condition a lot quicker um so initially I was really upset and it was very very emotional and very teary and but then I kind of just decided I was going to take control of it after having spoken to people like I say at the support group it kind of gave me the strength to make the decision um I was kind of really lucky at the timing of my diagnosis as well in that I found the charity I went to a couple of support group meetings and then literally within a few weeks we had the, the alopecia big weekend so and it was in my hometown so there was no reason why i couldn't go and i found out about it like quite late but i still went and i immersed myself in it and it was brilliant and i just met so many other people that literally from that weekend i decided i was gonna shave my hair and just you know embrace it and try and take control a bit of control back so yeah i love that um phrase like you said the, the taking of con back of control because i think that that can be a really powerful thing in people's alopecia journeys if it's not necessarily the route that everyone goes down and it's not a route that everyone has to go down at all but for those who do find comfort in that like you say it can be a big kind of 
um, tool from the toolbox to, to, to use with coping with this, definitely. So thank you, Sarika. Um, what about anybody else in terms of when, like I say, when you first heard those words and first, you know, found out it was permanent, what was the thought process and the, the feelings and things there? Nikki, how about you? Yeah, um, I think like Sarika had said, it was just a very emotional thing. And the funny thing is, I didn't understand, the brain is so weird, because you know, like, after five years, you know that it's, it's something. And um, I just like, obviously I knew that it was a type of scarring alopecia and I knew that it was permanent like I didn't need like a doctor to like reconfirm this but even though like she went and said oh you, you, you do have this and you have this and when she sort of describing what it is I just you know started pouring tears just <laughs> I tried to hide it and I couldn't she handed me this like tissue and I just it was completely wet she had to throw it away <laughs> give, me, give me another one and um yeah and I just, I, I needed like a lot of time to come to grips with it. And I, I just sat like in the waiting room, just crying uncontrollably. I just couldn't stop. And it was really upsetting, I think, for other people to see me that way. Um, so um, there's this kind lady who came and asked me if anything was wrong. And uh, it's like one of my really comforting memories, but also really sad at the same time, because she'd asked me if I had like cancer because I was in a dermatology like department and yeah. all sorts of you know uh, conditions and then it hit me like you know what I'm not actually like this like it might be permanent but at the same time I'm fine so I also felt bad to then tell her no I just I just have alopecia and I was like well <laughs> um, I just also don't like to put just in front of it because <laughs> it is a condition that was yeah. everyone and I I was very torn in that moment, but I still kept crying. And I mean, I laugh about it now, but yeah, it's one of those really interesting experiences for me. I think it's interesting what you brought up there as well about the um, the, the sort of comparison to the to the cancer diagnosis and stuff like that. Because I'm I'm sure there's a lot of people um, that are listening that have had that experience, whether it be through, as you said, being in the dermatology. Uh, kind of area or being if people um, are you know completely without hair and they're uh, in public people come up to them and will say things like oh you know I'm sorry to hear you're going through treatment and that's a really awkward moment because as you say you're you know you're not dying and you're thankful and so grateful for that and that's brilliant but you are also dealing with something that's still really really difficult and how to go through and how do you like say without putting the I'm just it's hard to to feel like that's a justification but i think that we know and hopefully everyone that's listening listening knows as well that obviously experiencing hair loss might not necessarily be life-threatening but can be massively life-changing and i think that that's evident in a lot of people's experiences to to not let go of that importance of that that part as well um what about for you Katie, did you, I mean, I'm sensing that there's a, a vibe across the board, obviously for anyone to hear that it's permanent would be, would be devastating, but how did you feel when you kind of first heard that? Um, I think, I, like Nikki was saying, it's not something that's necessarily a surprise. Like by that point, I think I kind of understood that in a, like in theory. Um, and then it's like someone else confirming those thoughts or the fact that it's true is yeah it's an upsetting thing to hear um 
and by that point I'd kind of had the same it had looked pretty similar for quite a long time so um I suppose yeah that sense of permanence is a little bit hard to take um especially because I was <laughs> a bit confused about the type that I have because they did say this is usually for postmenopausal women and I was like in theory in the prime of my life <laughs> um, I was like how can this be this is very unlucky um, and it's really rare and like like did I do something or like eat something or not eat something or like what have I done to maybe provoke this um, and that yeah there, I guess there were a couple of things when I was diagnosed like the dermatologist was really brilliant but she said to me um we should explore treatment and I was like oh I've read about it and treatment doesn't really work does it like it's probably just going to slowly either stay the same or just get like a little bit worse year on year and she said well we should explore it because if you look like this now <laughs> then you know what are you going to look like when you're 40 and I was like I can't even imagine being 40 anyway <laughs> but also oh, wow. like, oh and that's what made me cry um that would make anyone cry. I, I don't think that's. I think it came from a like a place of. So let's try and do something. Like mm. I'm here to do whatever it takes. But I think it just came out a little bit wrong. Um, but then I also recognise um, what Nikki said about the idea of like feeling quite conflicted, and I was kind of like, well, it's it's hair. It's not. Uh, you don't feel sick. You don't like day to day wake up in pain. So just crack on with it. I think that's a coping technique for a lot of people, really. Like, it, again, with alopecia, there's not always one right road for, for everyone. But it's it, it's not uncommon for people to hear, actually, one of the things that did help them with their hair loss was thinking about the fact that, actually, it's not life-threatening. And so, you know, mm -hmm. thank, thank thankful for that. Um, some people find the, the total opposite, and they will find that, actually, feeling like they have to be sort of uh in pain or any of or have something that's maybe going to detriment their life um physically um that if they don't have that that they're not almost allowed to to be upset by it and it's just not true at all because actually we can all attest to the fact that experiencing hair loss can have a massive effect it's the psychological impact as much as it is the physical hair loss and that's the part that people have to learn how to to live with in with in the day to day um, but it's interesting yeah. because I do think that's a common, like I say, it's a common way for people to feel like that's that's how I can deal with this, definitely. And I think the thing about um, like taking control after hearing that something is completely out of your control also resonates. That, that was the point where I was like, okay, well, I'll get a fringe cut in and I'm just going to keep growing my hair <laughs> because if I can't have it here, then I'll definitely have it here. Yeah. <laughs> um, and like telling everyone, I got really into just like announcing to different groups of friends, like this is what it is, this is what it looks like, let me show you in the toilet. <laughs> like, um, and doing that kind of felt like a sense of like owning it a little bit. Um, whereas before I'd been a bit like, oh, I'm just gonna try and hope that the wind doesn't blow and just keep my head down. But I, I think that. sort of announcing it was also quite a nice way of like getting to grips with it as well. Sorry. Yeah. Because as soon as the people around you know, that just takes a little bit of the pressure off to feel like you're constantly having to hide it. And I feel like it's difficult because there's still the general public that we have to deal with when it comes to stuff like this. But it's not it's not sort of um, around you feeling more crushing um, all the time. 
Sarika, did you have something to add? Yeah, I was just going to say linking to talking to people that you know um, and letting people know where you are. And I, I'm a secondary school teacher and I've previously worked in schools where there could potentially be fights breaking out. And I've always worried that my wig would go flying because I chose to cover it up wearing wigs for many years, um, like a lot of people do, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but in my case, I was just worried that in the situation that I've put myself in, that at some point a wig could go flying across when somebody's fighting, I'm trying to break up the fight. Um, so I, I chose to, I want to say come out as such, but it's, yeah, you know, let everybody know where I work in my place of work. I literally just turned up um, first day in September at work, didn't tell anybody, and I turned up to work without my wig, with my head shaved and just let it go and see what happens and all of the staff nobody said anything but the students because secondary school kids they can be um quite cruel and I just thought I don't know whether I've done the right thing here but they were actually really really supportive um obviously the usual questions about cancer um and then that led to me doing some proper like I want to say promotional work but that's probably not the right word to use but I actually did a bit of an educational sort of um, assemblies with a few um, of the year groups just letting them ask me questions and just explaining to them what alopecia is and there are some students at our school that do have alopecia so just letting them be mindful trying to get students to be more mindful about it so yeah in terms of trying to think about the positives is obviously like I say it's difficult for everybody but I always like to think of there being certain stages to your alopecia and your your journey and your dis self-discovery and it's obviously everybody tends to have a bit of a denial phase and you then rely on the support of your partner and your family to actually get you through that um by any means necessary I mean my partner his way of supporting me was to try and help me come to terms with the fact that I might shave my hair and this is what you'll look like and he put his hands over my head and tipped my head back and said if you didn't have any hair this is what you'd look like and <laughs> I did burst out crying but it was his way of trying to help me with my acceptance so I always think about denial and obviously you've got your diagnosis then you have to get to your realization phase that actually this is what's happening and I need to think about what I'm going to do and then the acceptance comes later on so I always like to think of my alopecia in those the stages that I've been through in those four stages yeah no I totally agree with that and I and I think it's interesting as well because the acceptance as we call it sort of being a fantasy will look so different for so many different people do you know what I mean I've had people reach out to us before and say oh I, I, I have to shave my head or I, I have to go out in the street without my wig on or I have to do this and I said well no you don't have to do any of those things you don't have to do anything that makes you don't not feel comfortable you just have to get to a place or we hope that you can get to a place at least where no matter what is going on on your head you're able to live the life that you want to live you're able to do the things that you want to do it's not stopping you from doing any of that and that to me is what acceptance and that like say final level is is getting to that point where actually hopefully it isn't stopping you from doing any of that so I think that's great, definitely. I think um, also just like hearing um hearing everyone's stories and like how they were so like everyone was so comfortable like emboldened to speak to like their family and their friends and everyone close around you as well. 
I don't know, like, it's something that I've always wanted to do, but I feel like my friends were the last people. <laughs> um, to I don't know why, but I just felt more free because I just thought that, like, um, strangers or people that aren't really my friends or like acquaintances, I knew that they wouldn't really hurt me, even if they, they did react negatively or whatever way that they might react. Um, I know it wouldn't bother me. So I just felt like really open and very chatty, like, oh yeah, I have allocation. There's a you know, a random person next to me. <laughs> and and normally they would react quite positively. Um, so I don't know what is that barrier for me, like stopping me to speak out, to reach out the same way Katie and Sarika had. But it's yeah, it's something that I've been working on. It does tie it does take a while, Nikki, but <laughs> I did exactly the same thing that you did. Don't think that because I've said what I've said that I did it straight away. It, it, this happens over a long period of time because I've had my diagnosis for what, a while now and I was exactly the same as you. In fact, I would look forward to my six-week holiday when I could jump on the plane. When I get to wherever I'm going, the week comes off and mm -hmm. I would actually have that whole week as a totally different person without yeah. having to think about it because nobody around me knew anything and it, and it is quite liberating it's, it is quite nice and then as soon as you get back on the plane the week's back on and it's like yeah so i didn't i wasn't in that place straight away is what i mean yeah it might and, and thank you for sharing that nikki because i do think that there'll be a lot of people that will resonate with that De definitely i think it, you you hit the nail on the head when you very much said that actually telling the strangers or the people that you don't necessarily know, it's like, if you get a bad reaction, you can hopefully move on from that. If you were to get a bad reaction from a family or a friend or a loved one, that would really sting, that would really, really hurt. So it's understandable that you kind of have that extra layer of protection. Now, obviously we hope that that doesn't happen and that you tell the people that you, that you love and you surround yourself with and they're completely understanding and lovely and helpful and all the things that we want them to be but I can completely get why you would feel like that and want to add that extra layer in and there will definitely be people who have experienced that as well so I'm, I'm really glad that you brought that up actually I think that's a really important point to make that sometimes it's not a it's not a everything out in the open straight away kind of thing deal for people it tends to be you know baby steps in the right direction hopefully yeah so um what about treatments and stuff then? What are people's experience? Let's, let's kind of jump into a bit of that because I think what people listening might not know um, is that obviously the treatments for scarring alopecia are not to bring the hair back, that hair, hair loss has gone, but it is instead to reduce the inflammation in the hope that it slows the further loss because scarring alopecias tend to um, take a bit longer or they're, they're, they tend to be slower progressing than some of the other types of hair loss. So the treatment options are to hopefully help in that and, and slow that down. Um, what can anyone tell us about, about treatments, about things that they've tried, anything good, anything bad, anything interesting? Nikki? Yeah, so initially, I think I was put on hydroxychloroquine and uh, the dermavate lotion, like the ointment. And I really hated that ointment. <laughs> it was the worst thing <laughs> because I just felt like it was so heavy on my scalp and then putting it on like once or twice a day, every day was just so much. And also because of the nature of like my, my type of hair as well. I only need to wash my hair like once a week or twice, every two weeks or something. And I just felt like 
if I had to put it on, I had to wash my hair a lot more frequently, but I didn't end up doing that. And I just felt like it wasn't very, I don't know, like inclusive. And I, I did, I did try to speak to like the doctors and everyone about this, but different pharmacists, like, is there any other option? Is it like a liquid version? And I kid you not, it's only until like, I think the first time they put me on it was, must've been 2018 or 19 and now it's 2021. And I just found out that there was like a, a solution version of the demo day and I literally have spoken to so many different people about it and thankfully it was like I found it through like um on the Facebook group the Alopecia UK charity when people like were sharing their options I was like I can't believe <laughs> took all of that to find <laughs> yeah, it yeah but other than that I mean I think I've just been under the notion that so long as like I feel like if I stick to something long enough, I want to be as regimented as possible and see if it works. And if it doesn't, if it doesn't, like, I really do like to just slash it and move on, try to find something else. But at the same time, you also have to find a specialist or someone who, like, wants that for you at the same time. Because most of the time, they're just like, well, there's nothing else or there's nothing else that really works. So they're not really trying to, I don't want to say experiment because it sounds as though it's not as um i don't know as uh like regulated in some way yeah regulated but everything has gone through testing so it it is within our rights and our bounds to do such a thing but they just i don't know tend to have this sort of uh well what are the chances of it working well you never know if you don't try you know what i mean so i just try to find people who help me along that that route and yeah as, as you sort of said the the thing of trying different things I mean um I didn't know this until I started working for the the charity but obviously the hyd oh, I'm going to butcher this now but the hydrodrox oh god I can't even get my teeth yeah yeah <laughs> it's actually a, um it's an anti-malaria tablet isn't it and yeah. I was my mind was a bit blown when I heard that because I thought anti-malaria tablets to help like reduce inflammation and stop hair loss like they must have come across that because it was a side effect of something else which tends to be the way a lot of treatments for things are found and especially hair loss treatments it's really common that they'll go oh someone's hair grew during that let's try that for hair loss treatment and things um but as you say because of that very nature because there isn't cures and things for these conditions you want to be able to have dermatologists um, and specialists on your side that are willing to navigate that with you and try and figure out well what what have you tried what can you try what's on the horizon and and those sorts of things so, so I think even with the hydroxychloroquine it's just really interesting to me that um I feel like it's the first drug that they push in everyone <laughs> and um, at the same time, they're also very careful to say, oh, be careful. you have to do your eye test every six months to a year. It's very potent. It's this, it's this, it's that. But that's the only, like, that's the only one you want to offer me, but you're telling me about all these terrible side effects. Is there nothing else that's like, you know, more safe? But at the same time, bearing in mind, I think I've been on it for like five years or so. Nothing ever happened. My eyesight is perfect. So I don't know. That's good. It's really strange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kate, uh, Katie, what about what about you and the the sort of treatments side of things? Um, so I had oh, I want to get the name right. I had something called Cynalar or Cynalar gel, I think, 
yes. Yeah. I can't remember if I had that first or if I had Dermavate first, but Dermavate definitely made my head sting. And I said, I think this is making my scalp more stingy than when I wasn't using anything. So I stopped using that. Um, I think the cyanide gels did the, the same thing. Um, so I don't use anything topical. And um, I was also offered hydroxychloroquine initially, um, but I was quite worried about taking it because I had taken chloroquine before and that was what and it made my hair fall out when I was 19 or that was what was said to me that was probably the cause of my hair loss when I was younger because I'd taken it as an anti-malarial um, when I've been traveling so I said I'm pretty sure that I'm allergic to this like I don't think I should take any related drug it just seems a bit of a big risk especially when mm. I'm already like trying to retain my hair yeah <laughs> um, or it. so I asked if there was anything else and they gave me limacycline instead which I had for a six month course of and I started that in 2019 and then it was locked down so I didn't go to the dermatologist for my six months like checkup or see get another prescription so the prescription finished and um then I didn't take any more and I don't think anything changed. I mean, probably like a little bit more hair fell out, but it didn't feel like it. It felt like it had slowed down quite a lot and it's not super inflamed. Um, so I don't currently take anything. Uh, and yeah, I mean, some days you're like, oh no, it's burning or it's like itching or something else is going to change. Um, but after the sort of initial bout, I guess, things have kind of settled down. And I had a really good phone consultation because um, obviously due to COVID can't go in and stuff. And she essentially said, like, if it's kind of OK, then let's not rock the boat too much and um, carry on and cross your fingers and talk later. <laughs> um, so that's what I'm doing at the moment, which is essentially just nothing. But it's hopefully in kind of stable condition at the moment. Yeah. And it's again, it's... Um doing nothing is a perfectly reasonable thing to do do you know what i mean it's there's there's no rule book that also says that you have to take any treatments as as nikki said m the vast majority of these treatments have some really harsh side effects or possible side effects um and you know some of them to to read what it is that you could be getting um can put loads of people off uh, it's, it's again it's the same across most hair loss conditions there isn't many treatments that are um you know just really light touch some of them are, are, are really harsh so you've got to be take that all of that into consideration when when thinking about doing treatments and stuff so thank you uh katie for sharing um Sarika, what about for you um well treatments i've had quite a few to be honest um a lot have already been mentioned so there's quite a lot in common with um katie and nikki also, I've had hydroxychloroquine, um, but the first treatment I had um, right back when I was at the GP was Rogaine. I don't know if anybody's heard of it. It's for, uh, I think it's for male pattern baldness. Um, it's like a, a mousse that you put onto your scalp. So I was using that, um, which didn't really help, and it kind of irritated my scalp a little bit. Um, it wasn't massively painful, but... After using it and taking the photos and looking at the imaging, it wasn't making any difference after a, the six monthly checks that I was having. Um, so I stopped taking that. And then 
that's when I decided that I think I need to just try and cover it up. So I actually sought a wig specialist, uh, somebody who would be able to create a mesh and hand stitch hair to the mesh to then sew to my scalp over my ball patch. So I was doing that for a number of years until she came to me the one day and said that I've lost so much hair that there isn't actually any hair there to stitch the mesh to. Um, so that's when I started going back to the doctor and saying I need to be referred to a specialist. So when I got referred to a specialist, I first started on Dermavate. Again, like Kate, like Katie said, the Dermavate was horrific, not going to lie. My scalp was so angry, inflamed, that putting that on top of it, it was just, and then a wig on top of that, it was a nightmare. And I just, I didn't know how I got through the day, to be honest, because I'd get home and I couldn't wait to take it off my wig because it irritated all my scalp, having used that like twice a day or whatever you're supposed to use it. So I stopped using it. Um, then when I went back to the consultant, they gave me the hydroxychloroquine tablets. Um, and the thing that I noticed about that was obviously, again, six monthly checks, having my photos regularly, that it didn't really do anything. Not for me anyway, but I know it works for some people. Um, it didn't really, but there again, as with scarring, it's not really going to do anything. It's going to probably stop what, you know, slow it down or stop but if you've already had substantial loss already, then I kind of started to think about the side effects. So I was looking at the tablets, like Katie was saying, and the side effects are horrific for hydroxychloroquine. So I decided I don't think that's the best thing, especially if it can affect your eyesight as well. So I then just decided to stop taking all of my medication because I think I came to the decision that why treat it and this is probably going to annoy some people but this is just like i'll say my stage of acceptance um why treat it if it's not going to come back and because i've made the decision to shave my hair now for me i probably would prefer if it didn't come back so then i wouldn't have to keep shaving what's left so i thought you know what i just made the decision if i'm going to shave because i don't want the hair there and it makes me have a better appearance in terms of not having patchiness then I'm just going to make the decision to stop taking medication and treat what I have got left. Um, I didn't like the feeling of being in limbo. So now I'm not in limbo and I'm just going with the flow, really. Yeah, no, I think that that's A, really interesting and B, something that I'm sure a lot of people can resonate with. As I think I've said about three or four times now, you know, everyone's alopecia journey is, is completely different and people will make completely different decisions to each other but that actually that's not an uncommon decision to make so if you're, i think to kind of basically be like this is where i've got to and that's as comfortable as i feel doing anymore just makes me feel like i'm having to make more decisions and have more on your shoulders and stuff so it's again going back to that taking back control kind of factor isn't it it's sort of like you know you know where you are and that just makes can, can make life a little bit easier as well so there was one sorry Naomi, there was one other treatment that I forgot to mention, which some people might um know about, and it was it's called protopic. It's like um it's like Vaseline, and you put that on your scalp, and I have to say that's the only thing that I tend to use because as people will probably know, um scar and alopecia can flare up and you get like really itchy, intense itching scalp sometimes. 
So I use Protopic whenever I have those sort of like circumstances where it does flare up and I need to just put something on just to calm it down a bit straight away. So that's the only other treatment that I forgot to mention. <laughs> Sorry. I think um, I had also tried that one. Um, I think the active ingredient is, is it tacrolimus? Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I tried it briefly because I think I had mentioned about going off with the hydroxychloroquine because it had been a while and obviously it wasn't really working and I was trying to do something else and they suggested tacrolimus. But I think at that point I was more like I just want like a solution and not something that's oil based. But I still tried it anyway. I think it was it was quite soothing and, the, and better than the dermovate because mm -hmm. I think the scarring alopecias, um, they tend to say that your your scalp will quite dry, so that's why you need these things. But if anything, like as Katie had mentioned and Sarah as well, like our scalp they did not like <laughs> it was flaring up and and also and all sorts. And um, I remember like. I wasn't sure if it was because of the the dermovate or whatever ointments I was using at that time, or if it was just my my scarring alopecia having a flare up because you know we do have flare ups and it really like it really has it for me personally. I don't know how it is for everybody else, but it feels like um, like a burning sensation, and and that burning sensation can like range between like a, a one or a two to like a ten. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and so because of that, I just don't want to take any risks with any like heavy ointments. But um, at the same time, I was quite happy to try it. And um, yeah, and I think they, like every time I, I spoke about my pain, they, when I say that, I mean like my GPs and stuff. And also I, I did go to Amy. I don't know if that'll make anyone upset, but cause I was just in pain and I didn't know what to do. And I didn't have any pain medication. I didn't know what type of pain medication to take, first of all. And everyone on the calls that I was like making calls to were like, you should just go in, go in. So when I did go in, um, they just said, oh, well, you have folliculitis, um, which to me didn't make sense because obviously, well, not obviously, but then from, I just relate folliculitis to like men with beards and, you know, when they shave or you know, other regions where you where you shave and you just get like these razor bumps and I was like there's no way I'm gonna have like razor bumps on my on my head and why does it burn even if I do have it um so I think like scarring alopecia is quite interesting in the sense where we we have like a range of of um a range of like symptoms and those symptoms can then also overlap with the issues that would occur when you do take the ointments. And then it's up to your specialist or your GP to then like decide and break down which is what's what's happening and why it's not. But at the same time, I think I just wanted to add that I was very impressed uh, with your decision, Sarika, to Sarika to uh, shave and just you know live <laughs> I, I think I, I had done that for a, like a while but in the sense where I wasn't taking or doing anything and just you know just living and it was a very freeing moment but at the same time I didn't shave my hair because I wasn't quite like there yet but I did like either wear head wraps or I'll just go out depending on where I was going if I felt like I didn't really care and so be it people will see my patchy hairs but at the same time 
sometimes I'd like go around, but I'd pick my hair because I just I cut it off so it was like a like a afro. So because I was growing out the afro, like I felt like I could like cover up like my um my hair loss in in that sense. But yeah, I feel that is really quite interesting. Every what everyone's just said. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for for sharing that, Nikki. I think um just hopping back to what you were sort of mentioning as well about the the sort of itching the burning sensation and stuff and, and the pain and things as well it's it's not uncommon um for a lot of hair loss types to experience some sort of irritation let's call it but i think in scarring alopecia especially um they can get incredibly more painful and um in, intense as as you were sort of saying and i think that's something that people might not necessarily have, have been aware of um which I guess leads me to ask a bit of, do you, do you feel that there are any, any other things, any other particular issues, I guess, that arise with experiencing scarring alopecia that people listening might not be aware of? Sarika's got a hand straight up. So, <laughs> yeah, go ahead, Sarika. Only because it's a recent thing, Naomi. It, um, it's to do with my eyebrows. I don't know about Katie and Nikki, but oh, I've recently just started to get that same intense burning and itching just all across my T-zone here. Mm. And I've had, um, it's really difficult because it's a difficult place because the pro topic that I would use on my scalp, I can't really put that on my face because it's really, it's really thick and it's like <laughs> so people would be looking at me as if to say, why is her face so shiny? But <laughs> just all across, all across my eyebrows. And I get this itch in it, and sometimes I just can't stop. And just because it's just there, and it's not like hidden under a wig or anything, I do just find myself doing it, itching it, without even realising I'm doing it. And I feel like my eyebrows are thinning. And I have met one other person, I think, with LPP, that has actually lost their eyebrows. So now I'm thinking, oh my gosh, am I going to lose my eyebrows? So that was one of my my next main concerns. In that, what can I put on it to relieve the itchiness and also you know is this a common thing for scarring alopecia for people to lose their eyebrows i don't know whether katie and nikki have got any sort of i don't know whether they've got any experience yeah. of that themselves that was one of the first things i noticed so when like before i got diagnosed my eyebrows were like falling out in patches and i was like stress don't know they'll come back and they do come back but I basically lose big patches of my eyebrows I would say every couple of months I think they slowed down a little bit and then they grow back and then they sort of like thin out again and they're definitely loads thinner when I was younger I had really like strong dark eyebrows and I think it's natural that they sort of thin out a little bit as you get older but that's a definite symptom I think of isn't FFA. strange though Katie how they grow yeah. back yeah I know and I've got a couple of patches that don't now, but they do grow back in cycles. And the dermatologist was like, oh yeah, and I did have something. I'm just looking around on my dressing table. I don't know if I have it. But it was a thing that she gave me to um, put on my eyebrows and it's like a cream. And she said it might work, it might not work because it's because you can put it on your face. It doesn't like penetrate as deeply as stuff that you could put on your scalp. So she was like, I don't know if it will actually get like into the follicles of us it's worth a try and I definitely found it like calmed down that really like intense itchiness because I would also just rub yeah, them they'd like, come out of my fingers and I'd just be like 
<laughs> just wipe like almost like wiping them off yeah and you can't do anything about that like you're still going to itch and they're still going to come out and somehow I got to the point where I was like don't touch my face because I was trying to like <laughs> keep them in but protect them <laughs> you're fighting a losing game at that point that's it's so that's so interesting though because I, I you're not wrong in that it's not necessarily um obviously with different type of hair loss, so alopecia areata, totalis universalis, all the kind of same condition, but at different stages. For them, it's obviously not uncommon for people to lose their eyebrows and their eyelashes as, as it kind of progresses, the totalis and the universalis stages uh, includes um, face hair and body hair and things like that. But with scarring alopecias, it's um, from what we know anyway, tends to be more localized to the scalp. But as we've sort of already we talked about this a bit in the introduction and and we've kind of established from people's different experiences there's always anomalies and there's always more that we're learning and there's always ways that this kind of condition is changing and we're finding out more and more things about it so it's interesting that you're both saying about losing them but that they're growing back as well and i would be so intrigued to understand why that is <laughs> we need to know more also said that um she asked me have you got any hair loss anywhere else in your body and she said it's common to have like um limb hair loss of ffa so right. sadly i mean i wish that all my legs <laughs> <hair loss. laughs> i can't pick it, it goes um, from where you want it and stays from where you don't yeah, yeah. Way. <laughs> yeah thank you everyone i think this I've enjoyed this immensely. It's been so interesting hearing all your stories and all your experiences and stuff. I can't thank you enough for agreeing to do it because I um, am so hopeful that everyone listening to this will either have learned something or if they're experiencing scarring themselves, they'll feel a bit less alone and, you know, hopefully it helps them understand their condition um, a bit better and things like that as well. So, so a huge, huge thank you to you and um, we'll, we'll end there and I'll let everyone just say a quick bye and we'll finish. Thank you, everyone. Bye. 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 Bye.